you're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect and discuss horror films, both old and new. I'm your host, Saul Moerte, and we're kicking off our seventh season with a massive, massive classic in the horror circles, and that's none other than Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. The reason we're doing it is because it's celebrating 60 years since its release, uh, and it's such an iconic film. It's 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 kind of crazy we haven't had a chance to even well it's, we haven't even looked at any Alfred Hitchcock films yet to date either. So it's kind of a uh, this one's a big one, and and I for one am a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan, and I'm 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 gunning to kind of have a chat and dissect this one. But in order to do so, I'm going to need to have an offsider, and I've introduced yourselves to Richard Lovegrove, who's going to join me on the podcast seat next to me. Welcome aboard, Richard. We all go a little mad sometimes. Hello. Hello. Uh, How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Like, I, I, a, I love that line, but B, it's, yes. slightly, it's slightly marred by the fact that Scream used it, and I always kind of think of that mm. more than I do with Psycho, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, homage is the best form. Oh, no, of well, that's the thing. It, it, it's a great homage, but it's like, yeah, I always think of, um, you know, um, Stu Slip, he's gone mad. We all go a little mad sometimes. Corn yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, look, it's, this, is, this is an iconic one. Like, this is a one, mm. one of the big, big, big ones. And obviously, as, as I said, we're, it's celebrating 60 years this year. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I've already kind of tinkered around saying that I'm, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, and I I I would say like uh, people that followed the podcast so far may have heard me talk about Hammer Horror in the past, um, and we initially kicked off as the Hammer Horror podcast team before we branched out and, and looking at horrors as a whole, mm. and so I. I would say like, you know, Hammer Horror was probably one of my biggest influences, but alongside that, like walking hand in hand was definitely Alfred Hitchcock. So I, mm. I grew up on, on Hitch and his mm. work. So I, I've been wanting to talk about one of his movies for a long time since we've kind of get, got this one going. And um, yeah, so I, I could probably kind of talk this one through quite, <laughs> quite, quite candidly and, uh, and to, to length. So mm. and I'll, I will I try it, uh, an err yes. on the side of, of not doing so to bore, bore the listeners out there. Um, I merely am kind of playing that out there just to kind of, just, so, just to express how warmly I am attached to this particular film. No, and no, I have absolutely. no recollection of when I first watched it. I just know it would have been, I would have been young. <laughs> um, <laughs> like pretty, pretty young. Cause like you could watch Hitch stuff kind of as we grow up. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid of the, well, late eighties, early, sorry, late seventies, early eighties. Um, mm. and so by the time like the nineties kicked in, I was like, I was fully into the horror scene. So I would have definitely watched it like in the, somewhere prior to that. Yeah, uh, and, and absolutely, absolutely loved it. So, uh, so I'll pass that over to you though. Like, do what was your early memory of it? Was it already in your periphery before you got around to watching it because of its iconicness? 
Uh, yeah, I feel like it was one of those um those ones I've seen on TV. I do remember a very early age watching the birds and yes. finding it terrifying. So from that, I sort of always had this memory and, and, and knowledge of who Hitchcock was and um, and uh, n- never realized the, the cinematography and, and, and the stylistic choices that he specifically made uh, in those films that made them so impactful in, a, in obviously a horror sort of way or a suspense, I guess we'd sort of say. Yeah. But um, uh, but yes, but 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 I um also really acknowledged when who Hitchcock was um as a director when seeing Rebecca, which was uh-huh. made in 1940, um which was uh, I think one of his first films in America because he had come over from England uh, at that point, and uh, uh, obviously um I'm assuming most of our listeners have uh, heard, uh, seen um Psycho, this film that we're going to be talking about today. But um I would suggest them to check out Rebecca because it's an absolutely brilliant film. Um and one of those early classics, but it was the first film that Alfred Hitchcock directed in uh, America, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, or yeah, one yeah. of those earlier ones. Yeah, he worked alongside David L, um David Selznick for that one. It's uh, he produced it and there was a they had a huge bit of a huge clash in the making of mm. that and uh, and a lot of kind of because Hitch is kind of known for being quite meticulous for the shots he wants in a yeah. film and there was a lot of kind of to and fro and, and a bit of a a power battle in the making of Rebecca and mm. ironically it's the only picture that Alfred Hitchcock um, has won best picture for at the Oscars oh uh, really wow and yeah so it's uh it's a it's a pretty uh pretty rare beast, but you you are right that in that it was the first film uh, that kind of got him into into America really, mm, uh, and yeah. much, much more the success of that film that kind of paved the way for him to have a bit more free license to go on to to mm. make other movies. Well, exactly. Like, and, and even with Psycho, um, <clears throat> he was scratched to sort of make this. And so he even um, took his, uh, a less salary than he would have taken for other films at the time so yeah. that he could make this film because I, I guess not a lot of people believed in it. I did read somewhere that um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock had intended it to be a comedy. I don't know if it was like, you know, maybe early stages or something like that. But um, the connections you can see on um, behind the scenes footage uh, and any documentaries because this had a six minute trailer I think it did yeah, uh, yeah. in cinemas uh, which was it was brilliant it was and it wasn't anything from the film it was just some text uh, like some title cards and uh, Alfred Hitchcock touring the set and just talking yeah. about it yeah but, that's um, yeah but you can sort of get a sense of his comedic side and his sense of humor in right. that and I think most uh, directors or, or, or writers of horror would probably have a um, a good funny bone uh, with them as well because comedy and horror are intertwined and it's a very fine line that you can have. And that's why some of the campy horror films are most popular, or at least in the cult status. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he's he was one of the ones that actually kind of uh, famously said that there was a there is a fine line between horror and comedy, and that he always. I want to say I could be getting this wrong, but I want to say he always did his. He always shot his horrors like comedies. Um, mm, yeah, so I think that's maybe that was it. Yeah, getting that kind of line from. Yeah, mm, like no, so, exactly. and, and that, yeah, but it was one of those early films on um, TV that was on a lot, and so that was what yeah, was good about yeah. um, old um, Alfred Hitchcock films. You'd always get to see uh, a couple of those on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, like for me, I was like, yeah, it was especially in you know in the UK dreary kind of rain kind of <laughs> rain sodden kind of place you'd, you'd hold up in uh 
in your bedroom and just kind of there watch what some of these some of these classic films so yeah yeah, yeah very very cool stuff i remember it, it was definitely one of the films that um in the early days it was okay to watch that film it was like you know yeah when uh, yeah. someone was putting it on it's just like it's a black and white film and you're like oh okay it's one of those films and you go yeah but this one's different yes <laughs> like, you know, this yeah. one you'll enjoy or you'll get enwrapped with and there's so many iconic moments that stick in people's heads and that's what i mean and like you know it's, it's it's a film that i think most people at least would know of the substance and have seen most scenes if not the entire film in its um uh, yeah. chronological sort of pacing um but it spawned many sequels um Yes. And, and it's actually um, covered by Red Letter Media in one of their uh, reviews. Um, the, I think it was the collection of films of the Psycho franchise and how it was one of the only, like, it had a through line. I think Jay says that it has a, a through line uh, through the whole films, or at least the sense of one tale that's being told. It doesn't yeah. really feel like it's been one of those scripts that's been attached or they've, like, you know, thrown the, the Psycho name on it just to get more seats or anything like that. Uh, and some of the films as well had um, Anthony Perkins himself directing. So it was, yeah, a great yeah, money-making yeah, yeah, yeah. involved. That's it. Yeah, it's a, well, that's the thing. There's, 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 a lot, there's a lot of components that, were going, that are going on with this particular film and potentially what make it so iconic. I mean, like Anthony Perkins, mm. hands down, is, 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 does an incredible performance as Norman Bates, but equally Norman Bates is such an iconic character in its own right. Uh, mm, and yeah. there's also the notorious uh, shower scene, uh, which has been often replicated exactly. since then. So, yes. uh, uh, and so we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll come to that as we, as we kind of talk it mm. through, but I do, I do want to go back to what just quickly, just want to go back to what you were saying about the trailer. I do recommend people watch that trailer because it's hilarious. Mm. Um, yes, exactly. It, it's uh, yeah. And, and I mean that sincerely. It's like, he's, he's very camp in it. As you said, as Hitchcock's mm. going around, you know, and often, you know, he's pokes his head in like when he's in the main house first and he pokes his head into the bathroom and he, Yes. <laughs> back out and goes the bathroom um, <laughs> yes. and uh but it has a more sinister tone when he comes down into where the shower is for the uh where mm. the cabins are and he equally come, goes flicks the light on and goes the bathroom again <laughs> but we all know what happens in that particular bathroom so it's yeah mm. well, so bathroom yeah. as well very famous um as well because it was the first film to actually show a toilet i think is that right Oh, I think you're right, actually. I think that... Yeah, maybe it was that or a toilet flushing, something to do with the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They had her doing a dump. dump. I've got a feeling you're right. It's There's something about... (laughs) Something really obscure about that fact that I think you're actually on the money with. Comment below. Um, (laughs) Do, do. All right, yeah, but we'll also too, um, I would just before we do go into it, yeah. we probably will mention as well the um, the perfect example of why you should never do a shot to shot remake of a film. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> just what were you doing, my friend? It's hard to watch, but yeah. maybe that's that's another podcast. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Who knows? Stick around. Who knows? Um, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. There, there is. There, thank you for mentioning that. And <laughs> scarring. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like spoilers. Like you know, for the the crowd, it's just like we yeah. may mention this awful film. Yeah, that's it. 
Um, yeah, so you're right. There's been a, a, a few sequels. Oh, we didn't mention the series either, did we? Bates Motel, or did you? Oh, of course, the TV, yes. series the TV series with Elliot. Elliot. Um, Ouch. Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> I actually, I, just, I never realized how much ET actually sounds like Harvey Corman in um, the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> it's a scene when he's doing this thing with, like, you know, this is how you repair a kit or something like that. One of the Wookiee children is watching this um, tutorial how to do, and he pricks his finger with something and he goes, ouch. <laughs> and I just remember, very ET like. Ouch. ouch. Nice. Nice. So nice. welcome to Sessions of Horror, where we do have massive segues, but we hope you enjoy it. Um, yes, so they're fun to ride. They are. They're a fun journey. Um, and uh, maybe it's a window into our insanity, but we, uh, but we are uh, horror fans through and through. And uh, that's mm-hmm. why we're, we're jumping on board this one. And so mm-hmm. let's, let's start dissecting this one, because this, uh, I guess, before we, before we get into it, as, as I get into it, like this... Uh, this first sequence uh well the first kind of what 20 minutes half an hour of the movie mm. before it takes the massive shift yeah is very uh, dawn. yeah exactly that's exactly where <laughs> i was going to go with that it's uh, for those that are familiar with from dust till dawn it's got a very uh similar kind of sh- massive shift in direction um so uh it was done before tarantino and rodriguez did um, <laughs> that. but uh, uh, and it's it's yeah it's it's I, and I take my hat off to it. I'm jumping down. I'm jumping ahead, but it's for me. It's such a a bold move, and mm. um, and we'll explain why when we get to it. So, but mm. we do when we first open up the film, we pick up uh, in a hotel room in Phoenix. Uh, we get the whole kind of big kind of credit, you know, like telling mm. us that it's in Phoenix. It's at, mm on such and such a date and it's at this time um mm. and now we're going to slowly creep in through a window and watch these two couples make out on the bed um <laughs> that's not creepy at all. no it's great so we see um marion crane um who we are led to believe is our lead heroine played by the great janet lee and she is uh, hooking up with a, her kind of on-off lover, a guy called Sam Loomis, not to be confused with uh, <laughs> the psychiatrist Sam Loomis from Halloween. And uh, he is played by John Gavin. And so we kind of meet them, and they're having a bit of a... Uh, a well, a bit of a catch-up over um, lunch, her lunch break, essentially. And they're hitting it off, but then they have a bit of an argument about the future, essentially. And Marion's wanting to settle down with Sam, but Sam is concerned because he uh, is in, he's heavily in debt, essentially, uh, from a business that he's taken over from his father. Um, and he's he's wants to do the right thing by her and and doesn't feel like he can while he has this kind of burden over him with the money yeah so um they kind of end on a bit of a sour sour note at this stage and she goes back to work while he then leaves to go on one of his business trips and they're not sure what their certain uh their future is 
we pick up with Marion as she uh, then turns up to her place of work, which is a real estate office. As she goes in through the office door, we see Alfred Hitchcock standing outside in one of his famous cameos. Hey. Um, yeah, and she comes in and she is equally uh, greeted by another secretary who is actually played by Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Pat. Mm. Uh, Carolyn. So, Car- Car- yeah, a couple of uh, big, big kind of moments there. So, and so she comes in and at this point, as they're kind of having a bit of banter, uh, we then meet her boss who comes in, Mr. Lowry. And he is accompanied by some kind of cowboy-looking dude called Cassidy, uh, mm-hmm. who has oh, just <laughs> who's just bought a house from Lowry, um, and he's paid in cash forty thousand dollars. Back in the day when that wasn't creepy. Yeah, when <laughs> yeah, like I just got it in my pocket. Hmm? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, and he lays it on the table, the cash that is, and. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i might throw in a few innuendos here so he <laughs> he's uh yeah so he lays the money down like he's a man of money and he speaks yeah. he talks money and mm. he doesn't care about money he doesn't need a bank he just carries money around and uh and he yeah he's he's basically t- uh, larry kind of tells marion to put the money in the safe deposit box at the bank mm-hmm. until monday yeah. At which point, so Marion sees the opportunity. Yeah, and she doesn't even blink at the money when it puts down. No. That's how hardcore she is. Um, exactly. And she, uh, at this point, she <laughs> she kind of feigns a headache. Mm. Oh, I'm so sick. And uh, <laughs> she asks if she could take the rest of the day off after she runs her errand to the bank. At which point, mm. Mr. Lowry, who's having chuckles with Cassidy, is saying, "Yeah, sure, why not? It's America." I trust you. And, and she uh, then uh, hops into her car, decides not to go to the bank, but then she goes back to her apartment, quickly packs a bag, mm-hmm. chucks the money in, the, in a suitcase and starts to drive out of town, not mm. before reaching a crossroads where her boss is walking past at an intersection oh, sure. and he kind of gives her a suspicious look. Mm. It's like, mm. and mm. Uh, it's like, well, she, I, I thought she had a headache. Um, <laughs> and, and, but then he carries on. She starts to, yes. uh, and then we have these kind of, uh, one of these great moments where she's driving along and the paranoia starts sinking in about what she's doing. And we have all these mm. kind of voices of, of, well, is it her imagination? Like she's kind of playing these scenarios in her mind or are these the actual events that are unfolding? It's never really quite, said yeah but, yeah yeah but she's um but she's anyway she's having these moments of like as she's driving along and oh, she's oh, worried turmoil through the rain yes that's right yeah she's but i was even just gonna i was gonna go back uh for a moment to uh right to the beginning when they um yeah. have the uh, different cameos which is obviously his staple um uh, alfred hitchcock's staple um uh, one of my favorite ones i think it was in um your uh the lifeboat yeah uh, where he he um, obviously it's it's about people in a lifeboat, so you can't yeah. just have a cameo appearance in that. Um, this is playing playing a, a shark or a whale, oh, um, <laughs> but he appears in the newspaper. He's yeah. um, apparently I don't know if it's his name or his photo. I can't remember, um, but I remember it being in the paper. Yes, so that's right. Yeah. That's how he got around. Fantastic cameos. Yeah, throughout yeah. all his films. Oh, I love yes. it. I love it. I love it. I mean, mm, but he's yes. such a. 
I mean, away from uh, the limelight, his uh, character is somewhat dubious, but um, mm. uh, but he was certainly a personality um, on on screen. You know, like his whole average Hitchcock Presents series that he did as well was yes, with the um, silhouette. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. So um, he was he was definitely a, a showman, I would say. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and that comes across in uh, the many cameos that he does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He's well. That's it. Exactly. It comes from his. Uh, um, I'm sure his sense of humour. Um, yes. Which again is just him going. Well, I'm going to be there anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's not exploitative too. Um, <laughs> even like you know, talking about homages as well. Um, that scene uh, where um, she pulls up, she's waiting at the lights, and she sees the boss. Yeah. Um, I've seen a, a comparison video where a uh, Pulp Fiction yeah. in that scene where he um, is waiting and he's got that song, Marcellus Counting Wallace. Flowers on the Wall. Yeah. Um, and the Marcellus Wallace, I think, yeah. is crossing the road and sees him and he hits him with his car. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Marion Crane doesn't hit the boss no, of the car. No, he doesn't hit the boss of the car, no. No. So, so <laughs> what are we saying from this? Tarantino's a big Hitchcock fan? Maybe. Oh, I think so. I think that, like, yeah, you can definitely probably like, make a lot of comparisons for a lot of filmmakers, obviously, because, um, yeah. you know, it's it, the best thing for us to do is, like, you know, know that there is only a couple of stories that have ever been told and <laughs> nothing's original. So it's it's that idea of, of not copying it directly, but, like, you know, yeah. taking your own spin on it. And that's why. Yeah, that's right. It, when it's purposeful and, and, and done well, I mean, it, it only aids in the storytelling. And so how can you say it, it, it shouldn't be there? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and and shots like that, like you know, as in because it's it's so simple. But you look at his um, Alfred Hitchcock's interviews that he has, and he'll um, make comparisons where he says, uh, like you know, you see a couple at a picnic looking over and smiling or something like that, um, uh, or like you know, a beautiful. He elaborates a lot of it, like you know, a beautiful young girl and everything like this. Then you <laughs> cut to like you know a baby, and then you cut back to the couple and what you think of it or something like that. Uh, oh no, that was it. And a man is looking from left to right on on camera or something like that, and then. We cut to um, a family or something like that, and it cuts back to him smiling. It's yeah. fine, but we cut to him, and he's looking at a baby or like a sexy woman or something like that. We have a different sort of uh, perception of who his character is purely by what we showed in that intercut. Yes, um, yes, yeah. So yeah, a, a, a brilliant storyteller like Kubrick, who we've discussed in the past. <laughs> in That's the past. right. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and uh, I think people who know how to use the lens and tell the stories they can on film will end up making shots so similar, not even knowing that they're actually doing the same shot or a similar shot. Yeah, um, and because there are only so limited angles and stuff like that, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. bound to hit, you know, that a couple of times. But yes, but we've got driving in the rain to the fantastic score. Um, which oh, is uh, Bernard Herrmann, is that right? Herman, yeah. Yes, uh, which we've discussed as well in our um, uh, reanimator, obviously, because the um, <laughs> the very similar score in that with a very sort of like hip uh, 80s beat behind yeah. it. That's but, right, um, yeah. But, and, uh, those, we are, that'll be, uh, we're releasing reanimator in our next podcast, if you're listening to mm. this in order, that is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of similarity between yeah. the score. Now we say the psycho theme as well because um, I I love music uh, compositions and, and and musical scores um, uh, and whenever uh, I do trivia I always like saying questions like you play a piece of music like da 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 dun 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 da 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 dun and you say whose theme is that and most people say Forrest Gump um, <laughs> but it's actually the feathers theme it's the yeah. feather right at the beginning that little CG feather that's flying through the sky. Um, 
uh, Hedwig's theme is Harry Potter's theme. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. in yeah. this, everyone thinks that the psycho theme is wee, 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 right. which we'll eventually get to, but it's, it's, um, it's <clears throat> again about parody. Violins. Uh, most people of, think, yeah. exactly, most people think Bernard Herrmann was uh, uh, paying homage to, I think it was Stravinsky. Uh, who has yeah. a very similar thing. Now, back in when Encarta 95 was a thing, I remember uh, going through all the multimedia and that was like one little 30-second clip of this. And it was very similar. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's scary and it's great. And so I'm, I'm thinking like that because obviously John Williams and things has, has used um, classical music before. Um, so many other composers like you know Hans Zimmer and things like that, I'm sure would have played homage even if it was just in a symbolic sense. Um, but <clears throat> the psycho theme is a beautiful theme when you listen to it. Yeah, it's um, great. So a lovely sort of melody and flow to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's like um, mm. yeah, it's a it's a great great little moment, and it's this just kind of like this slow kind of meandering kind of build up as well. It's um, mm. that as it plays it's, out. It's yeah, it's, it's sort of, yeah. And it plays <clears throat> it plays again in this um, sequence here when she's driving through the rain. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's and it, it's now playing this sort of paranoia but it, it always seems like it's got momentum behind yes. it like you know it's, it's, it, it feels like just keep going just keep going um when you're listening to it and it, it's yeah uh very very tune-in dosing uh as well because you can't see out of the front window and anyone who's driven in rain like that where it's just pouring on and the windshield wipers aren't doing anything it's terrifying yeah so um you can get this sense of real panic um, yeah from that's, that. right. that's and right. also from shot sizes, from a cinematography point of view, just by cutting and every time you, you are cutting into it, you're cutting from a mid shot, then to a close up, then to an extreme close up, um, <clears throat> and intercutting uh, what the person is seeing, which of course is affecting them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so that, and I guess like, as we already said, there's that, she's already in this kind of state of paranoia that we can tell mm. um, as she's escaping. There's a, a moment where so basically she kind of drives through the night uh, in this moment and then she um parks alongside the road to kind of get some sleep mm. and then when morning breaks this highway patrolman kind of turns up uh and he kind of stops her to investigate um her stopped car essentially when waking mm. her up um and she kind of feels a bit obviously he's on edge at the arrival of this kind of patrolman um mm. and he looks at her license and registration as he would do uh mm-hmm. takes note of her plate number and uh, allows her to go on but he kind of follows her in the car um mm. and and this is where she's realizing that the car could give her away as to who she is because she's obviously mm. trying to skip town with this money she tried, uh, she decides to trade it in for a different car. So she pulls into this used car lot and then uh, is trying to get the salesman to kind of quickly, you know, just buy, a, you know, switch the car, buy it for another one. And he says he needs like a $700 or something. So she's got the cash there and, yep. um, and wants to kind of switch, she quickly switch in. The patrolman all this time is watching from the other side of the street. Uh, and then as she's coming out, he, he then pulls into the uh, into the car sales car lot, uh, the used car lot, sorry, and um, and she kind of 
goes to drive off. She, that's right. She's going to drive off. And then this other dude's like, who works at the car lot's like, hey, you've forgotten your, your luggage. And she goes, oh, just shove, just shove it in the back quick. You know, she's, she's making herself so uh, guilty Sus. looking. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's really suspect. Yeah. Um, and then she drives off and, you know, the three of them are just kind of, you know, the patrolman and the two workers are like just watching her drive off essentially. Mm. Um, it's a great little moment. Um, but she continues to drive and night starts falling again. And this is where she starts to, you know, the paranoia is really creeping in now and the rain's really lashing down. Mm. Uh, she can't see the road very well. So she sees this kind of sign up ahead saying Bates Motel. And she thinks, all right, I'll just get a room for the night. Vacancy. Vacancy. Um, as there are no other cars around. So she kind of, um, pulls up uh, and there's no one in the motel office so she honks her horn uh when she can see a light on in the house yeah. and is the silhouette at this point of mother um <clears throat> i'm not yeah. sure yeah um there's a light on so she honks the horn and yes. this is where um oh no there is a light there is a silhouette yes um, there's a light Yes. Um, and then uh, she sees someone dashing down the path to her and mm. which point she's introduced to Norman Bates, played by yes. Alex Merkins, as we had once said. And he's this very soft-spoken, kind of very shy, kind of quirky guy. Um, and he's, he's, but he's quite chatty for a shy person. <laughs> Awkward, mm-hmm. you know, but he's like, you know, mother. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, but he basically says that he's lived in this kind of large house with his mum. Mm. So it's just the two of them. And um, and he also mentions how they rarely get guests anymore because of the new interstate bypass, um, which is bypass the, the local highway. And um, and this is where Marion realises that, oh, she must have taken a wrong turn at some point too because she's uh, no longer on the, the new interstate. So she's, um, yeah, still a bit nervous about being trapped by the police. So she registers under a false name. And uh, it's, I think she puts Samuels or something like that because it's her, her boyfriend's name. Mm, that's right. And um, then Norman, there's this great moment where Norman goes to grab a key from one of the middle cabins mm. and he pauses and then he, and he grabs, the, grabs the yeah the room number one. Um, mm-hmm. So there must be there's something in there, isn't there? That, that already he's instinctively kind of yeah setting up a potential scene to occur. It's um, interesting too that it like it shows him uh, like even from a, a later on down the sort of uh, route when you've got you know the study of um, horror film <coughs> film uh, icons. Yeah, but. Uh, his choice instinctively was to go for the middle room. Yes. So it's like, yeah. And then he goes over to there. So he's not necessarily thinking in that sort of way. He's already in that thing of, of now going, well, I better do what mom wants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. That's it. Mm. Um, and um, so, yeah, so he grabs the key to, um, to number one and he then escorts her into the room. He, uh, oh no, she asks him about um, food and he's like, oh, well, you know, Fairvale is only um, like 15 odd miles away. And that's where mm. she's actually heading to. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, okay. Um, 
it seems a bit far, but like he then says, well, I'm just about to have supper myself. Mm. Uh, you want to join me, in, you know, up in the, up in the main house. Um, mm. And so she, uh, she agrees. So she um, then uh, starts to unpack. And there's this whole moment where she's trying to work out where to hide the money. Um, mm. And she ends up putting it inside a newspaper and puts mm. it on the bedside table. Roll up newspaper. Um, and at this point, she then overhears an argument coming from the house between Norma and, Norman and his mum. And Mother Bates uh, has a very <laughs> uh, low opinion of women and mm. uh, doesn't want Norman to associate with those kind of women. And uh, no, so, no, man, put your penis away. Um, yeah. And so... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I guess I should say this later on, but it, yeah. it is interesting how um, he can manipulate his voice that well. Yes. <laughs> He's got very good ventriloquism. Like, well, you know, and to project it. Yeah, that's <laughs> well. what I mean, yeah. yeah. Throw right. his voice from outside, inside a house. Yeah. He's standing at the window with a megaphone. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, into like a little tin cup that's like you know got a string going in there. Yeah, so that's it. That's it. Um, so then, um, at which point, um, yeah. So yeah, big arguments happen between Norman and his mom. Norman returns to the motel with sandwiches and milk. And sandwiches. Invites, sandwiches, and invites Marion to join him in the parlor, which is just out, uh, behind where the uh, register is of um, mm-hmm. of the of the oh, sorry of the motel and so she kind of agrees goes back in there and there's stuffed birds everywhere look at the fucking stuffed birds what's with the stuffed oh, birds already stuffed birds yes taxidermy it's taxidermy yeah which is a been hiding a secret yes i like stuffing birds um <laughs> and he uh yeah so um he kind of says it's um it started off as a hobby but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, i can't remember the exact quote but something like you know um He's talking about well, you know, because that they don't have any guests, many guests these days. It's kind of like his job. <laughs> but I like it. It, it pleases me. Um, yes. So I mean, then he uh, so they have this kind of chat basically over uh, over the sandwiches. But like he's like, mm. oh, at which point he does this thing where he says, oh no, you eat, you have it all. I'm not hungry. Um, mm. Like alarm bells. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, the whole reason that he said about inviting her for supper is that he was in the middle of making supper. He was going to eat dinner. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. had it yet. So anyway, um, he uh, yeah. So they're having a, a conversation, um, and this is where uh, yeah, Norman initially starts saying about how he feels a bit trapped by his mom. Mm. And at the point yeah. where Marion starts kind of interpreting, uh, interpreting that and talking about it, um, he retracts really quite quickly and starts mm. defending his mum. Um, and it's quite, it's quite a massive about turn where he's like feeling guilty for even thinking the way he was thinking. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, there's, it's, it, it can be hard living with mum and her madness but we all go a little mad sometimes. Um, mm. And uh, so... It's almost, it's, 
also, also interesting too because with those who have seen the film, it like begs the question of whether he's putting himself through it, his own sort of Stockholm syndrome or yeah. or Munchausen's by proxy proxy. yeah yeah um something like that because yeah he's he's instinctively openly talking about it but then quickly shuts himself down by what he is expecting what he should be saying and doing yes um uh, and obviously praising yeah the 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 one at the thing which he initiated as the the problem yeah (laughs) or at at least by saying that yeah yeah, and I think that's. I just, I quite, I just really enjoy that that moment, that conversation. I think it's 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 really well scripted out, and mm. and really, yeah, the performance of, from Perkins is amazing in that bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the shift and turns that he takes, mm. and um, so yeah, so like, um, so but and then this point, Marion starts really like starts to read into what uh, Norman has is saying to her. Uh, and relates it to herself and she's there's a moment mm. where she's thinking maybe i should just go back to phoenix and just you know um yeah that's and, and back down and and kind of own up to what she had done essentially so she's having these kind of moments of doubt and thinking maybe she should yeah i'm not too sure if it was when i originally saw it or i had seen it in like you know rewatches but i i got the sense from that scene at the end that she was more likely to turn back yeah not necessarily saying she was definitely gonna turn back but i felt like yeah it was like oh cool she's gonna do this and so that's what makes what happens next obviously more more impacting yeah um, yeah but but yeah she's she's the one who who sees this the vulnerability in in him because even when he's coming down the stairs right at the the beginning um at that sort of first thing he's got this innocent sort of smile and this sort of yeah, like you know yeah. comfortable sort of flowiness to him uh, yeah. this sort of like tall lanky thin sort of guy yeah um and yeah it's uh something that you don't get the impression that he's at all um a problem yeah. creepy yeah like you know taxidermy but they yeah. like you know yeah. they're not terrible taxidermy i mean no, no. You look no. at the internet nowadays and find terrible taxidermy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's um, a very a very interesting scene because it's it's one of those um, that can be picked apart by so many different like you know uh, film directors, uh, cinematography, yeah. Yeah. Light, lighting in this moment. I mean, it's not a film noir, but it's it's utilizing those same effects. And a lot of the things about black and white cinema I remember was mm-hmm. when people were like, no, film noir is this. And I was like, oh, but I, I remember so many iconic shots from mainstream uh, black and white films that, like, you know, were just utilising the light because it yes. was, it had to have so much contrast yes. um, uh, to be able to be picked up on, on the, um, the screen or, or on the film. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this, this moment obviously is, is shot in its way and, and using those low angles to um, show that big winged... Um, owl i think it is over the top of him uh in this sort of foreboding way too which um heightens again more of that sort of tension about like you know uh the situation he's in because at this point we've just got uh, a girl who's running away with money and we're, we yeah. we are, are we get so we, we don't know yet if we're saying turn back because we don't know yeah if we really like her that much um <laughs> no, but then we see no. this other guy and it's like oh, oh okay and you i don't know because i had seen a lot of like you know um, early films that went the cheesy route of going guy and girl meet, they're going to end up. Yeah. You sort of, you do, you get a little bit of an instinct of going, okay, is this going to be the new romantic couple or is it going to be something that is leading down here? Is he going to get jealous maybe of some, he imagines her to be, you know, something, you know, you're, yeah, yeah. Whatever. so 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really like that scene because that felt like a big shifting moment. Um, yes. Like, you know, uh, in, in the film where it's now starting to sort of slow the tune and, and lower the tone and, and uh, bring the lights down. Yes. Um, which, yeah, it, it's, it does very, very well, um, both with the dialogue expounding on so much of its um, uh, exposition. And I guess that's what's good about these earlier films too. I, I, I don't think that a lot of Alfred Hitchcock films really linger on exposition uh, and, and divulging what the plot is and reaffirming things because it's, it's told within the camera and that's what best films should do. It's, it's, it's a visual medium and it needs yeah. to be told in images. Um, and so, yeah, Pioneer is like the, um, Alfred Hitchcock uh, utilise it very, very well, even in just a simple scene where it's just two people having dialogue. Yeah, I know, and, that's, and that's exactly right. And this, uh, if, we, if we're going to you know, analyse it further, it's, this is obviously the, the calm before the storm moment. Yeah. Um, where this, the film does shift. So there's this uh, wonderful uh, play between the two here that has that sexual chemistry that you were referring to mm. and, uh, and, that, and the innocence of when you first meet somebody as well and that kind of interchange that, that occurs. So mm. it's even more kind of harrowing when it when it shifts um when you look yeah, at it on a first date if they mention their mother it's usually not a good sign no, no <laughs> never mentioned mom what are you yeah doing? <laughs> yeah uh, the old cliche the mummy's boy comes in yeah um yes. so yeah so look so she's uh pondering about her, her position basically so when she goes back to her room and uh, then we kind of see norman from the parlor uh, take down a picture from the wall and he can see through this kind of peephole and he can watch Marion changing. So we're seeing something a little bit sinister already at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's almost robotic in the sort of emotions that he has changed now into yeah. this yeah, slow pace and, and he walks over and it's, it's a big chunk out of his side of the wall and you can see that it's just like, like a tiny little hole on the other side. Um, it's yeah, it's very very creepy. <laughs> it is, but and but then like he um, so the point where she's about to disrobe though, that's when he turns away. So he's almost like mm. he wants to, but he's kind of he he doesn't push himself too far. He's too. This is um, yeah yeah. Um, one of the when in in the remake um, or, or, or the exact copy, uh, yeah. I was really thrown off at this point because yeah. I felt as if. Um, because at this point in, in the remake, for those of you who don't see, the person who's playing Norman Bates starts masturbating. Yeah, that's whilst right. Whilst he's watching and, and looking through the hole. You don't see anything. He's just like, you know, making emotions and sounds. And yeah. But um, I always got the impression because he turns away, it was like a, he was being forced. Again, that sort of um, Stockholm syndrome. Like, you know, yeah. it's in... Because, again, what we find out about later on is, is with his character is that he's urging himself by proxy because he feels as if that's what she would be doing. Yes. And so like, you know, he's acting on her behalf almost because he'll get yelled at otherwise or, or there'll be repercussions. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an instinctive innocence that we keep seeing from him. That's then reaffirmed by a sinister choice or like surrendering to a darker will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, mm. 
and I, and, and again, because it's tame and and you don't see any nudity or anything like that, it's yeah. um the uh, kids who who see this as well, it sticks with them because there's so many awful things happening at once. Yeah, um, like you know, uh, and uh, what is it as well? Um, I think I think when we mentioned the toilet, doesn't she rip something up and flush it? Yeah. I feel uh, like she... I can't remember what that, that is either. But yeah, you're right. I, I, feel, that, I get the what? feeling that, that maybe that was, I don't know, maybe that was an addition from the remake because now I'm like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to blow the two. I can't blow the two. Ah! Um, no, no, there is because, uh, and I can't remember what it is, but that's what, uh, I think that's what the detective finds when he comes later on. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it's again, it's 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 right. Like she, I think she's turned the water on, and she's she does that or something. It's it's yeah. she's in the bathroom, and um, she's just about to go into there. So on a rewatch, after knowing, like yeah. that's what's so good about Hitchcock films as well, because this is one of the f- first films that oh, that's it. I rewatched, or or yeah. like you know would see the whole film later on after seeing iconic scenes, and so to realize that this is the choices that she had as she changed those, like yeah. you know, as that happened, it's just like oh. That's probably why I got the um, impression that she was going to turn back by whatever she flushed in the toilet. That's right. I just, I just remember what it is. Like, so, so she sits down and she's working out her figures and she's working out at this point how she can repay the $700 that she spent that's right. for the car. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's it. She writes that down on a piece of paper and then she kind of rips it up and flushes it down, the pieces down the toilet. Um, yeah. And then she slips out of a robe and slippers and steps into the tub to have the shower. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that sort of like final choice, you know, she's going to go back. And so now she's like, you know, that innocent trope again. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now we feel for her again. Yeah, that's right. We're like, Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I'm so cold and calculating after all. Um, mm. And yeah, so she's having this like, shower and then we get, yeah, this is the infamous scene. So at which point from behind the shower curtain, we see a figure approaching pulling back the shower curtain and it's kind of shadowed figure of an old woman with a large knife marion screams and then the blade is lifted high into the air and strikes and strikes and strikes we get the crescendo of music that we um that has become synonymous um with uh, psycho with this use of um ostinato basically it's the same repetitive pitch over and over oh, and- shrieks yeah and um yeah so and the blade comes mm. down striking 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 as i said and marion can't escape because she's in a shower um and uh with the blows of the knife and this attack continues until the killer leaves and then marion uh falls down reaches for the shower cut this is such a beautiful i love this whole sequence yeah he reaches for the shower curtain um which kind of rips under her weight and then she falls over the edge of the tub. Mm. And, um, and we have this kind of um, shot of the, her blood kind of flowing down the drain. And the focus of the camera goes straight onto her eye um, mm. as like this kind of staring down the camera as it zooms Closer and closer and closer onto her eye, and almost as if she's in mid-breath, like you know, yeah. mid-intake. <gasps> yeah, been taken. her breath's yeah. been taken away. But yes, and the pacing of that, even oh. I, I loved the slow movements that she sort of slowly slinks down the wall and yeah. reaches out, and, and and again, even that too, like she reaches out, and you don't see the shower curtain, and then you realize she's reaching for the shower curtain. But the pace as well at which the um the assailant fled the room too is. Yeah. 
like, you know, yeah, you get a very interesting sort of take on who this woman is, this sort of like prim proper, high uh, bund, um, yeah. uh, old school woman yes. that you would imagine living in that house. Yes, 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 that's right. That's right. Exactly. Um, the, the sense, like, it, it's tastes so tastefully done as well because, like, yeah. you know, there's shots where it's right over the top and, and insinuates nudity, but we don't see anything. No. Um, and even just those quick shortcuts of the blade right on the belly with a line of blood or something like that. Um, um, and one of my favorite parodies of this scene is uh, high, fidel- uh, not high fidelity, National uh, high anxiety. Oh, high anxiety. Okay, sorry. High anxiety, yes. National Mel Brooks. What are you saying? Yeah. National Lampoons. Yeah, I thought you were going to say National Lampoons Vacation. Um, oh, I can't remember that one. Chevy, Chevy Chase kind of. Um, yeah. Where, oh, uh, great film. I, I remember all the Wally World stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit where yeah. the wife is uh, Beverly D'Angelo is in the shower. And uh, and he comes up with a banana, I think he's. Uh, and then, no. And then, you know, uh, in High Anxiety, um, <laughs> was it Mel Brooks is the, the main character who is suffering from high anxiety, and he's yep. a um uh, a very uh, uh prolific psychiatrist, um, and he's gone to a hotel for this um seminar he's going to be speaking at, and he's all worried, and so he, in a very quick and and short tone, um. Uh, says to the bellboy, "You need to bring me the paper. The remind the paper." And so he's just like, "Okay, I'll get you the paper." And so he um, goes inside. Mel Brooks has a, a shower. Um, it's right at the top of the the uh, building. So he looks over the edge, and he's got all this uh, vertigo from that. It's uh, high high anxiety is obviously a homage to um, uh, Anthony. Uh, uh, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock films, um, of course. Uh, so he has all these tropes in it. But whilst he's taking the shower, this is when um, the bellboy slowly comes in with the silhouette, opens the thing, and goes, "Here's your paper! Here's your paper! Here's your paper!" <laughs> so you get this streaking sort of similar sort of effect. And he stabs him with the paper. He falls down in the uh, the thing, uh, pulls the shower curtain, and the ink from the um, the newspaper is the thing that's running down the drain. Nice. Uh, but nice. brilliantly done. And, and that's what I mean, a beautiful homage to it. We get the joke and it also plays that in a nostalgic tone. But um, even as a trivia thing as well, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm thinking off the fly here, but the thing used for blood in that scene, was it chocolate sauce? Corn syrup. Or was it ink itself? Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good point. Ooh, comment below. Comment below. Let us know. Um, <laughs> I do want to add on your comment though about like you know how you were saying it was tastefully done and there's there's no there's no nudity scene. In yeah, it. at least to um, my memory, maybe I saw. No, 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 no. That, that's what I want to. That's what I want to touch on, right? So, mm. um, so the the film uh, when it was uh, when Hitchcock brought it in front of the execs to watch it, they were so uh, assured, or they were so confident that they saw nudity they mm. were like you can't mm. do that like you know it's like there's you know you, you there's there's boobs or whatever it was that they were yeah they thought they bums and stuff yeah mm. and he was and hitchcock said no 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 that's it's not uh there's nothing there it's the illusion of it is there because it's so because the cuts are so mm. quick that you think yeah. you're seeing blah 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 and they were like so they were like no 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 you got to change it got to change it and so he was like oh, fine so he took it away brought back the print, hadn't touched anything to it and said, there you go. And they said, oh yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, the, yeah. So it's one of those kind of, uh, and that's a bit of a, 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 often happens with editors these days <laughs> where, yeah. uh, where they get uh, people go, no, you got to take that bit out. And they, 
they pretend to have done it and they go how about that and they go oh yeah that's better and they haven't actually done anything. um but yeah that's basically what hitchcock had done um yeah well, i guess I, that's also like forcing the best compliment for an editor when they yeah. don't realize it's been edited <laughs> yeah yeah that's right yeah that's right so um the uh what was i gonna say with that so and and I, uh, when I was a bit younger, I went on to Universal Studios. Yes. And uh, that was one of the uh, things that they showed you how that scene was made as well, which was kind of really cool. I really, I thought that was one yes. of the, my highlights. Oh, yes. Um, uh, now, which, you went to the Universal Studios in um, Hollywood? Yeah. Or, sorry, not Hollywood, uh, L- LA. The LA one, yeah? that's right. Yeah. Um, now, I'm pretty sure that um, that... Uh, Hitchcock, uh, was it the house? There's a great documentary um, on YouTube by a guy who um, discusses the origins of that house. Yeah. Whether it's the one from the film or whether it was actually taken from the streets that you also go on the tour where you see the Munsters' house yes. and you see uh, I don't oh, I don't know the name of the show, but it's something like you know three for a dozen or Hart- <laughs> what was it Be- Beaver knows best or something you know yeah, yeah. one of those style shows where it was their house. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the Munster's house, um, but I think the Burbs' house is as well as around there, the Tom Hanks film. Yeah, that's um, right. But, yeah, there's, um, uh, the, the documentary discusses and shows a lot of uh, photos of, of, with timestamps where it suggests that it's actually one of those houses that's been repurposed up yeah. on the, uh, the top of the hill because it's been there for so long out yeah. in the weather. It's obviously got to be replaced, and I'm pretty sure it's just a facade or at least it's a very minimal yeah. set. I, um, I seem to it, remember, like, I, when we were going round, you could see the house up on the hill, but obviously, like, you weren't, you never, you know, you don't actually go up to it. You just kind of. From my memory, I'm pretty sure we drove up past the Bates Motel. Right. And yeah, yeah I, I That's feel like. I think we did too, yeah. Yeah, and you see that because on the other side of that, of course, is, is a whole bunch of other stuff. I think there's yeah. the, the, um, the set from The Lost World. Um, which, which I was really excited to see. And I only saw it as we were going past of it because I was like, oh, it's that film. But they didn't mention it on the, the big speaker. And it's just like, come on, I wish you're doing this stuff. But <laughs> so, much, so much of that Universal uh, lot has changed. I think the yeah, whole Jaws section has had a rework. Yes. Um, and uh, to, much to Steven Spielberg's uh, dismay, which yeah, is yeah. sad. He had, goes for a tour around on like a, a, go, a golf cart with um, this guy and discusses all of these things about his um, first intern days um, on, on the lot and, and the cheeky things he would do and him walking in on, oh, who was it? Uh, a, a big name. I can't remember who it was. Um, who was, had his top off and he was editing and um, they made a prank on him to take these uh, rushes, or no, to take a, a bin out or something like that yeah. from this room and it was this big like director whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, there's, there's a great lineage with that. And also too, um, the, the, the set has been reused for the sequels, as, as we mentioned. I don't yeah. know if it's been reused for the, um, the TV show. Yeah, um, which I don't know. Unfortunately, I haven't seen. Sure. Yeah. But it gives me big vibes, I think, from the fourth one. Which is the one yeah, where it's like the, a prequel? Yeah, the beginning one. Yeah, Sucker for the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, no, that one had E.T., yes. Uh, <laughs> that one had E.T., that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> had but, E.T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had E.T. in it. Yeah. Elliot, I've killed my mother. Um, <laughs> no, no. I was imagining <laughs> E.T. as um, mother. Oh, yeah. as mother. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, mad floozy. <laughs> yes. Straight after this scene, um, as we have the, I think the, the shot on the eye, we 
pan outwards uh, externally from the hotel or at least yep. the window or something like that maybe. And yep. um, we, we see do. the house we do. and we see, I think, lights going on and we hear, mother, what's that? Oh, God, no, blood, mother, no. Or yeah. something. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, no, no, that's right. It's, um, yeah, we hear him saying, mother, oh, God, mother, blood, blood. And he comes yeah. running down the hill um, and into Marion's cabin to find the aftermath mm. of mother's knife attack. He, yes, um, and then he destroyed. goes and on a bit of a cleaning spree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need to like, you know, do a, um, a 2020 re, um, special edition where they have this boppy track where it's like, you know, in uh, the movie it that was recently re- yes, you know, yes. Um, cleaning up the bathroom. This like, you know, wake me up before you go. go <laughs> yeah. So like that. And this whole thing is like, is quite, um, do you know what struck me about this scene when I rewatched it is the way he um, makes gr- good resources of the shower curtain. Um, yeah. <laughs> to com- yeah, by repurposing it to carrier. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's actually quite actually smart. Um, mm. Okay. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, like you know, one of those lame modern filmmakers would be turning around <laughs> and putting all that into dialogue, where he's going, "Ah, I will repurpose this shower curtain as <laughs> yeah, it is already right. ripped because it will retain the moisture in one <laughs> locale and not yeah. stain as I drag it." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, that's what's good. Yeah, exactly. The mind races and fills in all those blanks. I remember yeah, yeah, all it. those little things. It's just like, "Ah, oh, he's clever. Yeah, you should do this. You should do this." Oh no, he missed the money. And, I, and that's great. And that's, so that's, that's what I really loved about that whole kind of this whole moment is because like he's, he keeps looking around and he's doing stuff and he's like, he puts the picture back up on the wall um, yeah. that's been knocked off when, that he not, has knocked off when he, um, yeah. uh, when he supposedly has seen the body again. And yeah, so then he kind of, um, he cleans up the bathroom, wraps Marion's body uh in um the shower curtain he goes to her car and reverses it up so then he can then open up the trunk and throw her body into the trunk of the car gathers up all the belongings in like her belongings uh, and throws it into the trunk as well and Mm. we are watching it thinking he's he's forgotten the newspaper the the, the money you know Mm. and uh, but when he goes back in he that's when he spots it grabs the newspaper and just tosses it into the trunk as well not knowing about the stolen money, <laughs> of course. Just thinking it's going to link it to back to her. Yeah. Um, I remember, too, getting a sense in this film that there, um, that he had done this before or it goes again into a sort of planned mode mm. where, um, like, uh, and again, like, you know, he, he does, he backs the, tr- the, the uh, car up and you sort of, well, why? And, oh, because he's going to take this there. Yeah. Uh, minimal shots, silence. It was done well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bit because when he does that, you're like, "What? What's he doing?" And then, and then you're like, "Wait!" And then, and that's right. That's when you do start. When you get towards the end, you go, "Yeah, he's done this before." Um, mm. Yeah. So, um, so then he drives the swamp uh, to the swamp, uh, which is near the motel, and he pushes the car in and watches it slowly disappear into the dark bog. Um, and there's this great bit, like where you, he's always chewing, has this chewing kind of jaw action. Um, mm. which is a great little tick. And I don't know mm. whose choice that was, whether that was Hitchcock's or Perkins, but um, mm. visually it just adds to his kind of nervous energy. Um, and, uh, and I love that as a, as a touch. And there's a point where the, as the car's sinking, it, it, there's a moment where it just stops. Mm. 
before it then sinks again. And there's a bit where he also stops chewing because <laughs> um, mm. he's like thinking, is it going to go under? And then eventually it does. And that's actually quite accurate. And I should know because I've tried to sink a dead body in a car in a swamp as well. And <laughs> You too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've done it too. Cool. Um, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, that's that's um, why we broke the one rule. Oh, damn. Damn. Don't talk about Fight Club. Fuck. <laughs> shit. Ah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I didn't say Fight Club. I mean, oh, shit. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's why you've got to use like yeah. one of those old heavy ones, man. You can't be using these electric hybrids. They just float. <laughs> that's <laughs> Um, but what I liked about that is, is, is the realism behind that because obviously you've got to wait for the air pocket to be filled up this, that's in the yeah. car. So there is always going to be this moment where it will bob before mm. it then sinks. Um, and I, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a little touch, but I loved it. Yeah, I yeah. always thought it was very panicky. Um, like mm. Not necessarily to say that it, it didn't work with his plan, obviously, of, of going ahead, but yeah. it felt as if like, you know, because it was, it's sort of, you see it floating off into the middle of it and you sort of go, well, now you lost your chance to sort of, you're going to have to jump in after it or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but because of that too, it, it, it's a, something that you get the sense of it's worked before. He's there and, and yeah. he's doing this nervous tick because, not because he's, he's guessing as he's going, because he's hoping it works. Yeah. It's hoping that this time it gets away. Yeah. Um, but but yeah yeah no there's even with those whole air pocket things there's um uh, MythBusters do um, a whole series on that myth which yeah. is like you know wait until the car fills up before you get out and um, Adam Savage said it was one of the most terrifying things <laughs> like you know, you get it done. Um, but yeah it is it's it's one of those things where the pressure is so great so you have to wait for it to be relieved. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think that they came down to the idea of um, if you can wind the window down like you know it won't obviously work oh it will work with an electric car they at least it did uh-huh. for them so i won't say it will work <laughs> don't hold <laughs> me this. um yeah. but apparently it is so um yeah. yes from yeah. from their thing they, they said it was plausible um, <laughs> i remember watching that one too i did see that one i know the one you're yes, referring yeah. to yes cool exactly so- yeah oh and exactly make sure that they're passed out when they're in there yeah <laughs> or course. dead when they're in there yeah but, um, yeah that's yeah. embarrassing <laughs> mm. but again we sort of do feel still get the sense that um norman is very much not responsible at this case yes. he's yes, covering up right. for his mother and now it's it's taken it to that extra height yes um, where yeah because yeah. again all, all we've heard and all we've seen for that matter we suggest there's a mother yeah there is a mom there is a i mom. mean how was he born i mean yes i mean there's a chicken and there's an egg you know um please so, um, well, so we then cut to uh, it's about a week later, and we meet. Uh, we don't meet. We see Sam Loomis again in his mm-hmm. uh, hardware store in Fairvale, um, and he's writing a note to marry him. Um, and he's changed his mind, and he what he wants to marry her. He's like a bit of fool, a bit of fool, I tell you. Um, bit of Marion, and uh, please marry me, Marion. Um, Marion, and at which point. Um, Marion's sister turns up, Lila Crane, played by Vera Miles. And she comes into the store and asks if Marion's been there. And he's like, what the fuck? No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, what are you talking about? No, she's not not been here. And he goes, I don't understand what's going on. And at which point, a private investigator turns up by the name of Arbogast, played by Martin Balsam. And he enters the store and... He uh, is also asking about Marion's whereabouts. 
at which point, if you're Sam Loomis, you're just thinking, what the fuck? Um, and then this is where he talks about the stolen $40,000. And Lila knows about this, but Sam doesn't at this point. And, and uh, Abergast is convinced that Marion is somewhere in town mm. to kind of hook up with her boyfriend. So he then goes on a search of the hotels and boarding houses around the local area to try and track her down. Mm-hmm. At which point, Abergast turns up at the Bates Motel and we see happy, chappy Norman hey. um, going, oh, I've not, I've not seen Marion. Um, there's not been any guests in here for weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, Abergast manages to <laughs> look at the something with a sign-in book. Yeah, he looks at the register and he sees this false uh, signature in Marion's handwriting. And uh, at which point, uh, Norman's been caught in a lie because he said they hadn't had any yes. And mm. he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, yeah, no, no, I remember her now. Um, she stayed on the Saturday night. And then all of a sudden, it's all the info coming out, um, mm. which is a very kind of typical trait of someone who's lies. Yes. They tell you everything without telling you all. That makes yeah, sense. yeah. Even from um, was it a neurolinguistical programming point of view? If yeah. they look up to a certain direction, it means yeah. either they're fabricating something or they're remembering something. Yeah. Uh, whereas if they are like usually, if they're softly looking you in the eyes without any malice, that's they're genuine. But yeah. if they're death staring you and they're telling you a lot of precise information, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, then yeah. they're almost like caught in this lie and trying to um, talk so much or talk at length to a point where the person will just give up. Yes. Um, great. Yeah, that's right. And that's what's kind of happening now because he's like, yeah, no, that's right. She was here Saturday night, left Sunday morning. Um, And then, um, and Abagos then sees mother's silhouette at the window of the house and he he asks to see her and Norman's like, no, 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 mother's an invalid. You can't go up there. Um, And then he kind of ducks out, Norman that is, Uh, Mm ducks off to do his I think he's making up he oh like I you know, we don't get any guests but I still make up the beds every week like clockwork mm. so he goes off on on his supposed um chores and mm. at which point Abagas is he's a detective he wants to know what's going on so he's he, a detective um, he needs to detect he needs he needs to find out these things otherwise what's the purpose what's um, to detect and he goes to investigate the house this is the first time we go in the house and mm. uh, we see him coming through the door. Yes. Because uh, he's determined to talk to her. And, uh, oh, hold on. But before he does that, he phones Sam and Lila up. Oh. Uh, Mr. Bit. I think he leaves. He must leave first and then comes back because he goes, excuse me a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was something like that. Yeah, I forgot uh, a bit. He uh, he goes off and to a phone box, calls up Sam and Lila and says, you know, Marion was at that hotel. Uh, she checked into cabin number one and he's going to go back and try and talk to Mrs. Bates. Um, yeah. But when he gets back to the motel and looks in the office and the parlor, he to see if no one's there, he spots the motel um, uh, is safe. Uh, the motel safe, which is standing open. Then he heads up to the house and goes inside. Mm-hmm. Sensing no one's there, he then goes. Um, he uh, sensing no one's downstairs because there's a there is a room downstairs. He then starts to go upstairs, uh, 
Mm-hmm. And just as he reaches the top of the landing, Mother Bates emerges from the bedroom, stabs him, and he falls backwards down the stairs in this beautiful shot as we kind of see him mm. kind of falling backwards down. And it's, a, well, it's, even, a, it's an easy... He, he's going up the stairs, like, you know, just before that, you've got that bird's eye view where then suddenly you've, you've got that sort of calm and then the, the attacker suddenly comes out of it, um, the main bedroom, again, with this sort of brisk movement. Um, in a very purposeful sort of manner. And yeah, yeah. it strikes him. Now, um, I don't know, I've done stage combat, but even at this point when I was very young, um, you, if you have like you know, the knife and a hammer sort of grip with it like that, it's in a stabby motion and its best way is to be pushed into soft or not as hard, like, you know, uh, yeah. thing. So she comes down in a stabbing motion, yet he gets a slash as if it was in the forehand sort of um, yeah. position, like, you know, upright. Um, but yeah, that's the, that always threw me that. And obviously the next shot, which is so brilliant, but you do get the sense that it sort of is missing a cutaway to his feet that are doing this sort of like cartoonish sort of like, I always imagined that. Yeah. And, and, and him reaching out for the camera and it's just like, I, I always imagined that and him grabbing the camera, like, you know, going, why are you helping me? Um, but yes, and um, a very early use of uh, what would be known as uh, color difference traveling matte extraction process yeah. uh, or, or a similar matte process, which yeah. would be filming that against a compositing uh, material such as green or blue or, or, or something. Because even though it was um, back in the day of um, black and white still, they would still experiment with different colors because it always comes down to the exposure on the film. Uh, yellow and sodium obviously would be a big... Um, helping factor but you need certain prisms to do that um so a, a lot of the times in hitchcock films he'll have these uh aesthetic st- expansions uh where like you know he'll just get a normal photo cut the background out and composite a new image yep. uh, in there and this is uh one of the elements where it's really good because it's using the elements uh that are organic around it it's not constructing yeah. anything that's that's like you know spacey or, or sci-fi so you do get this surreal like caught in that middle of the moment sort of shock that they're all going through this <gasps> last breath of life um, yeah which is which is really interesting but yes sorry that sequence happens the high angle shot being so iconic and, yeah, and that yeah. shot traveling yeah. downstairs which used so many early effects um yeah it's a great shot i mean like you know i i, I once saw some similar to that on on uh, done on stage uh while i was at university as well and it was and they it was one of those ones where they show you the um some of the effects afterwards as well oh yeah which was really cool so it's kind of like you know just moving like the back yes. basically the background upwards so it looks like they're falling when they're not um mm. and that they're attached to a rope as well which you don't mm. realize as well so it's so they slowly go backwards as well yeah leaning like that yeah motion is yeah it's pretty cool effect um mm. so yeah and then uh so he he plummets down the stairs and at which point mother strides him and stabs him several times um and then we cut back to the hardware store where lila and sam have been waiting for abigail to return hours ago and um and they have a big conversation about it and lila's like you know we we should go something's wrong something's happened and sam's like well he'll be here he said he was going to be here and she goes it's been three hours um, mm. and he's like, yeah, all right, Matt, you're right. Let's go. Let's go find out what's going on. So they try and call, but there's no answer. Um, and, um, because Norman's out at the swamp and <laughs> dumping another body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
this is where uh oh yeah that's also where sam oh sam goes on his own that's right sorry i forgot sam turns up at the motel first and then mm. he's calling out for abagast and mm. no one doesn't hear it because he's dumping abagast's body in the swamp Dumping Sam comes on. back to the store and uh, tells Lila that there's no one there. There was no Abagast, there's no Bates, there's no old lady, there's no man with a banjo. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Sam suggests they go and talk to Sheriff Chambers. Uh, the sheriff of Not in Sheriff's Chambers. No. Ooh, hello. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, uh, to report... Uh, Abagast has gone missing and at the house the sheriff's house uh, Chambers is with his wife and they listen to Sam and Lila tell the story and they're urging Chambers to phone up the motel and talk to Norman uh, who says the detective has been out there but has left oh sorry Norman uh, Norman says that but uh, yeah that's right yeah no that's right he came but he's gone Um, and when Lila presses Chambers about the mum, we should talk to the mum, Chambers tells them that Norman Ma- no, Norman's mother has been dead and buried for the past 10 years, uh, uh, having poisoned her lover and herself in the only murder-suicide Fairwell's living memory. Oh. And they're like, what the, what? What are you saying? Yeah, yeah uh, which again like, gets expounded on in um, the fourth one, uh, which is a very interesting scene. Like, you know, as in uh, it's sort of chaotic and rushing into that sort of iconic thing. I don't know. Have you seen the fourth? Yeah, um, yeah. It's the Olivia what? Hussey one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that scene um, uh, where, where you see him, I think it's Strychnine they use. And it was like so. a, a thick, a like mm. glucose syrup. Like you know, sort of thing, like a gluggy sort of thing, and so um, yeah, I always thought that was very interesting. But again, yeah, I remembered it from the film and going, oh, that's really cool. Like I remember appreciating the fourth one yeah. purely for that, like the the homage that they were paying because it was a sequel was yeah. genuine in 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 a character's um, uh, the character's point of view, or at least um, the subjective notion of what the film was trying to tell. Yes, yes, that's yeah. right. Um, mm, yeah, sorry, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Cool. Um, that's where we realized about that yeah yeah that's right so this is the big reveal obviously so like they're they're confused now like how can the mum be dead yeah Um, when there's been people that's you know uh even abogast has said that he saw the silhouette of the mum there so Mm. um this and norman's talking about the mum so like what's going on um Mm. So like, well, no, exactly, and, but also from the viewer's perspective, we've seen yeah. the um, um, the viewer's perspective, we've seen uh, uh, footage like you know where we've heard her voice, or at least yeah. it sounds as if we've heard a different person, and That's we can right. see a silhouette in in that other thing, and the other guy acknowledged it. So at least that there's cor- um, corroborating evidence um, or correlating evidence. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, ones but collecting it, <laughs> like getting out of those things. And then we get this, uh, we get this great line from the sheriff going, "Well, if Norman's mother is up at the motel, then who is buried in the grave in Green Lawn Cemetery?" Duh. <laughs> um, so it still poses the fact that they might Norman's mother might still be alive. By that, yes. Point. So we go yeah, back well, exactly, because the... we've heard that from Norman, she could be an invalid, uh, which, but yeah. again, we've seen her like in such quick strides. So yeah. we know that, like, you know, someone's lying, but obviously he's dumping these bodies and nervous as he is, we yeah. can suspect he's lying because we've yeah. seen him think one thing and then change his tune really quickly on a dime and be yeah. influenced by either himself or a dark fellow. Um, right. So, yeah, exactly. So you always get the sense that um, this woman is the one 
somehow involved, whether she's instigating it from yeah. her high tower room um, and she has minions <laughs> or, <laughs> or, yeah, or she has a, this ability that she's actually really young and she's siphoning the youth out of those she kills. So, no. Like, so a bit of a ca- um, Countess Bathory kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least what she was trying to do before they bricked her into her own um, room. Yes, yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. More uh, virgin maids, I need to take a bath. <laughs> so then um, we go back to the motel and Norman's worried about all these people that are coming around my ass. Um, and <laughs> you get and the phone call from Sheriff Chambers. And so Norman goes up to his house and uh, he um, basically has this argument with his mum. From an unseen, we don't see the mum. We just hear him having the argument. And at which point he's like, I have to hide you in the fruit cellar for a few days. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, I'm not going to live down there just eating mangoes. And um, <laughs> he's like, you, <laughs> so, and she's refusing. So Norman says he will pick her up and carry her down the stairs. And she kind of. Mm, that's right. For it. And then uh, mother, mother protests. But then he, we see that up. You know the uh, the top angle shot again. Yes, that same angle. Carrying mother down the stairs. Mm. Yeah. Um. Exactly. Yeah. And that I I actually found this moment to be very haunting. Mm. Um. Again, maybe it was from the rewatch, just because now where we 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 would with our blinkers on before we know what's happening, we would have thought that yeah, she is this woman doing these murders and stuff like this. But now he's carrying this dead body down, and you just sort of get this sense of this lifeless little limp thing. Yeah. It's just like, but how is she? Is is the demons involved? Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least that's where I was like, you know, sort of going. I was imagining very different films at very different points. <laughs> of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that's it's, to do the film. Like it does exactly it changes so much that your precisely your and you're, you're, you're having to fill in those blanks by those questions. Totally. Yeah. But, but that protesting to go in this fruit cellar is great. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the next morning, um, it's Sunday morning, and uh, Lila and Sam meet the sheriff and his wife as they are coming out of church. The sheriff mm-hmm. has, uh, says he's already been to the motel before church services. He didn't see anything mm-hmm. odd, suggests that the detective probably just moved on to pursue a lead without them, um, and he offers to help Lila report a missing person and the theft. Mm-hmm. Um, and but Lila and Sam aren't satisfied with that, so they decide to go out to the motel for themselves. And their mm. plan is to register as a husband and wife and check into a cabin, and then they'll go and try and search the place. Yeah. Um, they turn up, and Norman assigns them to cabin 10. Hey. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I can't remember, but does he do the same thing? He instinctively goes to give him one. And then gives him ten. <laughs> it's just like he's gonna spy on him in the shower. Oh, I want to watch you, Sam. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, uh, Sam, insists on signing the register um, mm-hmm. as he pays. Again, Norman's being quite, quite relaxed at this point. He's like, oh, no, yeah, I want to. I want to do it by the. And Sam's like, I've got to do it by the book. I need a receipt for uh, business reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so then Lila takes the key, goes ahead. She goes to check cabin one, but they're a bit too quick. So then carries mm-hmm. on walking. Oh, no, she's able to see that it's unlocked, but then walks on. Um, mm-hmm. And they stay in cabin 10 and they talk over what they're going to try and do. And they say, right, well, let's make sure if he's normal's not around, then they'll go mm-hmm. into cabin one to kind of look for any clues. 
um, they go in, and that's when Sam notices the shower curtain's missing. Uh, and Lila finds the scrap piece of paper with something oh. subtracted from 40,000 written on it. <laughs> and it and and it says um i've just been killed by norman no it doesn't um yeah <laughs> in in blood on the wall <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. i missed a bit yeah uh, you know it's a bad hotel when there's no shower curtain yeah yeah so uh <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so it's basically kind of suggesting that norman knew about them may have known about the money so like yeah, um, yeah that was on. another thing i can't remember if it was one of the sequels but i got the sense at some point and I don't know if it was yeah, Psycho 1 or, or, or 2 or 3, but um, I got the sense that, what was it? He, he had seen the money and he almost was going back to the swamp to try and bring it back, um, like to oh, bring the, the thing up. Maybe that was just me as a kid not thinking he's going back to the swamps to dump the bodies, but he's, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. he's going, uh, I've got to get yeah. that money back. <laughs> oh, no, there's money? Yeah. I was, yeah, it went to a very Blues kid. Brothers sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yes, uh, no, it's it's great. Also, when we're going on the tour there, I think it's in the second yeah. one. Um, someone gets murdered, and um, they stuff the body in the ice box, um, which yeah. is at, at the it's in between the house, the stairs to the house, and the the yeah. uh, reception area. Um, and there's a great scene where um, the, the very good film. I can't remember if it's the second or the third, but Norman Bates has come out of the um, mental asylum and everything like that, and he's all good. Um, yeah, and he yeah. is still paranoid that he's not okay to go back into society. Uh, yeah. And so he goes back to the hotel, starts to run it. Someone he, I think he befriends or is a guest in the hotel, starts killing people um, and and stuffing them in places that um, he finds them, and he thinks, "Oh shit, I've done this again. I've blacked <laughs> out. Oh my god!" And I've yeah, so he keeps hiding the bodies, and it's 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 almost <laughs> comical, and yeah. and that's why I mean, like you know, there's there's always something in any of these sequels. Uh, there's something that you can take away and going, oh well, I'm glad at least I saw it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah uh, but yeah, that, that that's uh, another thing in there. Oh, and there's a cool death, I think, in a sh- uh, uh, um, telephone box. Oh, is that right? In the second one, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, Yes, sorry. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, terrible cleaner if, if there's a piece of paper that somebody's found and like, yeah, he yeah, hasn't been able right. to get rid of that. Uh, and don't yeah. flush pieces of to- a to- like, you know, paper like that down the toilet. It's no. not toilet paper, kids. No, it's going to clog up the system. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. eat it instead so it clogs yeah. up your system. Yeah, yeah. Eat the shit. I mean, not the, the more shit. you know. No, don't eat your shit. Um, don't eat shit. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. So basically, um, Lila wants to talk to the the old lady who's living in the house. Um, she wants she wants Sam to distract Norman while she goes up there. And so um, Sam tries to say, "No, no, no, this is crazy. Uh, you can't do that. She's sick." Um, but then um, he decides to go with it anyway. He finds Norman in the office and engages him in a conversation. While Lila then goes up to that. Um, up to the house she enters and looks through all the rooms upstairs she goes into mother's bedroom which is filled with all these kind of clothes and from the victoria like looks like a victorian era mm. um and the outline of a woman's body is deeply impressed in the old mattress yeah it's, it's very deep it's and set yeah, very deep the thing yeah. yeah, and anyone I think who's ever had like one of those things imprinted in a couch or something like that, like a butt print or something like yeah, that, yeah. you know the effort that like you know the time that that takes. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you, know, yeah. just, you put something heavy there, and it's like a memory pillow or something like that. That's but no, right. um, but also too, even just in in the uh, associations um, as well. Uh, I remember this scene. 
being a uh, a comparison to Ed Gein, um, yeah. Yeah. the uh, serial killer um, who uh, was he killed his father, I think, and he killed his mother. Yeah, or some or something like that, and he was left with a house, but he didn't pay any of the bills, so he lived in darkness. Um, and he would kill people and make like furniture out of them, uh, tables and and uh, lamps. Yeah. Um, I think in his house there was a torso just sitting in the hallway, um, and stuff like that. So yeah, um, and Ed Gein, of course, and things like that, wasn't it? Like yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. Um, uh, but uh, what was it? Ed Gein, of course, was uh, also one that was paid homage in uh, or at least insp- inspired certain aspects of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. Uh, and and so, so many other films. I mean, like Science of the Lambs. I mean, um, like, you know, uh, elements of that. I guess that's more yeah. of a Ted Bundy yeah. thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting to see these parallels and how they're like sort of in the same – in real life uh, we see fiction uh, so crudely. Yeah, so parallel. like Robert Block, who wrote the novel for uh, Psycho, wrote – yeah. wrote it about two years after the Ed Gain kind of thing happened. Yeah. Um, and he kind of claimed that he didn't really know much about that. Mm. But um, but he was going for that kind of innocent person next door kind of, mm. to, you know, so that kind of could be anyone that's the killer sort of approach to his yeah. writing. So that's, that's where the Ed Gain kind of connection kind of comes into play because he mm. was just this average bloke. Um, a bit of a loner, um, admittedly, but like, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. And has gone on his, um, habits, <laughs> one of them, but, um, has gone on to be kind of, um, replicated in, in numerous films, like you said. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and this, of course, um, the homage in this being the, um, uh, what's it called? The praising of the mother, putting on the pedestal, yeah. uh, even yeah. in death, um, like, you know, treating them as they're alive. Um, That's right. And, and things like that, I'm propping them up in the window so that they can see out and stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. And again, in, in, in I think some of the later sequels, uh, it delves into a little bit more when Norman Bates comes back to the house, I think in two, there's some moments where he's just walking around and, and you get these, um, I think silent scenes. I'm not too sure if there's like a voiceover of like, echoes of her but um yeah he, he just looks at certain elements of the of the room which is is exactly the same as like she has just left it like you know things are still out her makeup still whatever you know um there's the imprint of the bed obviously um uh, yeah 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 it's eerie eerie terrifying yeah yes yeah, it's, it's yes it is and uh, and when she and when uh going back to the the film when lila goes into norman's room it's kind of also got this like trapped in time feel like it's like a kid's room, just like toys and things like, and mm. uh, there's a, there is a vinyl player in it as well that's sitting there. Yeah. Which goes to show that Norman still likes to get his groove on. Um, yeah. Well, you got to, don't you? You got to have yeah. your lifting spirits when you're down the bottom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and um, then we go back down to Sam, who's trying to talk to Norman about mo- the money. Uh, to to get an indication of whether or not Norman has stolen stolen the cash. Uh, now Norman's getting kind of a bit frustrated at this point, and Sam mentions Norman's mother, and then this is when Norman realizes that Lila's disappeared and may have gone up yeah. to the house. So they have a big so him and Sam have this big struggle, and Norman knocks Sam over the head, and Sam falls to the floor. Mm. At which point Lila is uh, then coming down the stairs and that's when she sees Norman running towards the front door. So she ducks down behind the stairs, behind mm-hmm. the, um, 
you know, the to the cellar steps. Yep. Um, and she sees a big sign saying free mangoes. No, she doesn't. <laughs> my obsession with mangoes. Um, yes. so <laughs> mangoes. Um, and she realizes this set of steps. So there's actually another room she's not noticed before. So she uh, goes down to investigate. And then when she gets to the bottom of the steps, um, mm. and she kind of goes in and walks into what's kind of like this kind of storage area. Um, and she sees what looks like an old woman sitting in a chair facing the wall. Um, mm. And she whispers, Mrs. Bates. Um, and she, uh, but the woman doesn't respond. She taps the woman on the shoulder and the chair does this kind of swivel round. Mm. And yeah. you see like this uh, desiccated remains of like an old woman, basically. Um, and yeah. like, almost near skeletal kind of mummified look to her. Yeah, well, she hasn't been preserved. She's literally just been sort of like allowed to sit there and dry yeah. out. Yeah. But she's been kept as, as well, I guess. It looks like she was probably kept in pretty good nick until she started to dry out excessively. Yes. Um, but he's still putting wigs on her. Um, Is there the like suggestion that? that he's using his taxidermy skills on Mother at all? Or is that... Is it, I don't get that impression from um, the, the that iconic shot because when um she does mm. get... Uh, turned around there it's um no she's clearly so not yeah terrifying yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. um as yeah. in and, and also too i think it might have been an invasiveness that uh he didn't go because again it was sort of like he, he left everything waiting yeah, for her to return true. yeah so it's it, it feels almost like a hope rather than a yeah uh, a creepy like i don't know it, you, I, also too because in the story of things um which they justified. And I know this isn't the backstory for, that was going into this film necessarily, uh, what yeah. Hitchcock was thinking, but they um, uh, set it up so that Norman is kind of exposed to, like, you know, the mother's very flirty um, with him as, as a, a young boy and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah. then she gets a boyfriend who's this very, like, trucker guy. That's and right. he gets very jealous um, because she's spending all his time with, the, the trucker guy uh, and he's he puts him down and says man up and all this sort of stuff and so he poisons um i don't know if he actually intends to poison both of them in in psycho four but he poisons um the drink and they both have it and there's this massive sequence of stumbling around as they're yeah. choking and and trying to catch him and beat him up and stuff like this it's very fun um <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah like as in that's the, what, what i liked about that too was i got again that sense of going yeah it may be he could start taxiderming other people he's meaninglessly killing, but it's this invasiveness and this purity that he just wants to stay away from. Like, you know, as in he's like, mother was pure, so I, I'm not going to do anything like that. Because, yeah, no, if you've right. ever seen anything about, like, what funeral directors do and, and, and presenting bodies even just for the display of the dead, I mean, it's some pretty full-on stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, it's like squeamish as well because you're working with dead loved ones. But um, yes. having said that, certain ways to, to force mouths to be closed and, 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 and puff up and stuff like that, it's, it's just terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, so we get this, this moment. Now, what, we, what was fantastic about this too is you've got this, this, this tension, this suspense because there's this, uh, this chase sequence almost happening where yeah. she's in the middle of hiding from Norman, who we now think is is at least going to take you to mother or, or do something like that. Like he, he can't be trusted and, and it's like, but, but he's not really that concerning. Yeah, um, yeah. But she goes downstairs and it's, it's that stark light all over the top. It's just that bulb on a string yeah. um, and uh, walks up. And as she slowly turns it, she walks back and hits the, her head against the uh, light, which starts flying back. And yeah. Forth. Yeah. That's a great this moment. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
little um thing along there. But even, so I was just going to mention as well. The um I, I never realised it, but when you mentioned the the room with um Norman's uh, room, or at least where he sleeps, and it's yeah. just one of those couches. It's just yeah. like a very thin single mattress with like you know a, a kid's yeah. quilt and a, a a big teddy bear, a, a big bunny actually. But yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's been very minimal. Um, which yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. That's again, right. it feels like it's 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 enforcing that that Stockholm syndrome. That sort of like you know, yeah. okay, well, this is what he feels like he deserves. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So he, so we, yeah, yeah, no, we no, fly so that she, around. Yeah, so she screams, flying around. The light bulbs kind of flicking around, and then that moment is when we see this old woman enter the door, wielding a large yeah. knife, uh, blocking the only uh, escape route from the cellar. And at that moment, Sam kind of comes in and, and grabs the, uh, the woman. Um, mm. But as the wig falls away, it's revealed that it's Norman dressed up as his mum. Yeah. Yeah. I so, remember as well, as a kid, that I didn't realise, um, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was racism, me just seeing a different face on, a, on a, the same Caucasian person. Um, <laughs> but... When he came in with uh, in the dress, yeah, I, I I was I didn't know it was Norman. I didn't default go it was Norman. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know. I I, I knew it wasn't the mother because she's just been turned around dead. Um, but yeah, when he lifts it up, his his face is almost so different that we've ever seen it. So yeah. it's this contortedness, um, which is brilliant because then he gets tackled and everything like this. And once the wig comes off and he's and he's rolling around, sort of writhing, yeah. um, and, and the, yeah, the half mouth. giving up. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's uh, you, you find out that it's Norman. Um, so yeah, brilliant um, in yeah. that. Moment. Yeah. Um, that's right. And so, and then we get to our kind of climax. And so it's kind of later on in that in the evening, and we have uh, we're at the police station, mm. and we're hearing we hear everything from the um, psychiatrist's point of view, essentially, mm. who's come in, and he's basically uh, we don't see. There's a shot where we see. I think one of them asked, like, goes to take a blanket. Is that right? Anyway, I might be jumping ahead. Yeah. Um, um, I think he said he asked for a blanket because he's yeah, cold. That's right. So, and then, um, so we're hearing everything from the psychiatrist. So this is the bit, this is like the Poirot moment where, you know, mm, the real, well, yeah. what, what's happened before. Now, yeah, that's what I was saying before about, like, you know, the exposition dumps aren't necessarily in Hitchcock films, whereas... <laughs> Um, I think this uh, in another trivia thing was it was a bone of contention and the producers or someone else said, no, we've got to put something like this in there. Yeah. Um, at the end. Yeah. Um, as a, like a closer, because even in um, the shining, there was supposed to be another <clears throat> scene or at least it was filmed. There's um, uh, shots from on the set. I think it was the last day of filming in a hospital where um, Jack Torrance is supposed to be um, uh, mentioned uh, and, and whatever is happening with Danny. Uh, but mm. yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And um, exposition dumps—they'll still make the film. I mean, yeah, it was black you, and white. You, you kind of see what they did. You, I, I get why doing that. I mean, I could. I also see the reason why someone might choose not to do it. But exactly, I think, yeah. I think it's needed to explain a few things here. And he's like, mm. um, and it's very—it is very psycho talk. And he's like <laughs> about like. Um, um, Norman's mother is a split personality, essentially. Like, so the, uh, but the Norman personality doesn't exist anymore, and because the, mm. the mother personality is stronger, and that's taken over. And so yeah. the, my, the psychiatrist talks about uh, the death of Norman's father, and Norman came on to depend on the attention of his mum, uh, and then she took on this lover, and Norman felt like 
he had been replaced, so he became jealous. And this is where he mentions about how he poisoned both his mum and the lover, mm-hmm. um, but then became so consumed with guilt over that crime, he then stole his mum's corpse and decided to treat it and preserve it as best as he could. Um, and then, but that illusion wasn't enough. So like, you know, to keep his mum alive. So then like he started mm. to fabricate conversations with his, with her in his mind. So like he then started to think and speak for her and he'd walk mm. around starting to wear her clothes and the wig and stuff started happening. Um, and at times he could be both personalities at the same time, you know, carrying on the conversations. And other times the mother half would be the dominant half and take over completely. So he was never all Norman, it was his point. Um, But he was often only mother. (laughs) Um, Norman's mother personality was pathologically jealous of Norman. So whenever Norman met somebody like a female, then she would, um, that he was attracted to, then she would also be jealous. Mm. Um, And that's what drove her to then kill Marion. And he he mentions here like most likely other women before her, so he doesn't. He's kind of hinting that yeah, there were other deaths. Yeah. Um, so that so basically that's kind of what he's saying. Then we kind of go to this locked room, and we see kind of this is another great shot of him, the way he's just positioned just off to one side, sitting there not moving, and it's all done as a mm-hmm. voiceover, as as mm-hmm. mother's voice. Um, he's talking through the thoughts. And uh, she wants to basically kind of show how harmless she is by sitting completely still. And then we see this fly kind of land on his hand uh, and he kind of looks at it and doesn't do anything. And, go, and it's that whole thing about like, you know, see, um, <laughs> not he's so innocent. He's so gentle. Why he wouldn't even hurt that fly. Yeah, that's great. Um, and there's this great little smirk on his face that comes on at that point and it's like the final image um as it mm. kind of falls away um well no it, it i think it stays on him in this sort of yeah. like t- like a tighter than mid shot but um yeah, yeah right. he slightly smirks in this sort of like down uh forehead um, yeah. position but it slowly transitions over the a skull and i'm not sure if it's the picture of the mother's skull yeah um, that, i think it is yeah, yeah. This is the that, teeth that definitely come through. Very, yeah, it's and very subtly done, but it's... Yeah. Exactly. The opacity would be very low on it. Yeah. Like, you know, um, yeah. And then it transitions into the chain link pulling yeah. like into the foreground uh, and pulling out of the bog. Yeah, the uh, the car. Yeah. They dumped quite. The car. And then we get the close credits. End of the film. Psycho! Alternate scene, Scooby-Doo ending. Um, yeah. As in, like, um, Lila, what was it, rips off Norman's face and it's <laughs> yeah. actually just like, you know, yeah. the disgruntled um, theme park executive. That's and I would have gone in a way if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah, that's it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, look, so we've, we've gone through it. There's a classic and, it's, and there was a, there's some big moments in it and mm. that still resonate. That still resonate. And it's, it's I, I think even though it's, as we said, it's 60 years old, but it doesn't feel 60 years old. I mean, maybe the fact that it's in black and white kind of does make that stamp on it, but yeah, uh, there's enough in there to kind of pull you in, I still mm. think. And so 
it doesn't feel like it's trying to be anything necessarily because yeah. like um even though we made the comparison before to dust till dawn um it, mm. it does it feels like it has this very heavy genre twist whereas yeah. in this film it it kind of starts as a crime drama um and like you know or, or a crime thriller and stays on that through it's not necessarily yeah. a horror film it just has horrific elements in it yeah. Um, or at least the the sense and pace that suggested, uh, like before with the nudity being suggested and things like that. Okay. I mean, um, exactly. Like you know, as in to have such a big exposition moment at the end of the film is strange when you've got all of the film being told purely on the visuals. So um, I can see why people would not like uh, that that moment at the end there. But yeah, it's so iconic, and and it, it's it should be studied by a lot of people and, and and looked over because there's always little bits you'll see in it, and that's the good thing about like you know um, even even seeing that different medium like black and white uh, yeah. or, or four by three ratio and stuff like this, you'll usually find things that you wouldn't before. Just the texture of different things might be more exciting, um, especially now we have high def. I mean, if you watch yeah. an old film in, in high definition that's been um, bumped up in quality, it's, it is a new experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's, that's what's good about it. Um, these films will, I think, always be timeless. The, the ones that are iconic um, are that way because of their imagery and the audiences know that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that kind of obviously in mind, like, uh, how did you how did you react to it when you saw it more recently ahead of the podcast? Like, do, do, is it still evoking those same reactions to you? Do, did you still connect with it as a film? Yeah, um, again, because it's uh, I'm a big sucker for like long takes <laughs> yeah, and stuff yeah. like this, and and shots that aren't just over the shoulder, like you know, two shot dialogue, commercial style. Yeah, um, I mean things that um I, I i for some reason i want to say a razor head um <laughs> like in in yeah. styles of of the shot compositions because they don't feel like they're like safe yeah um, yeah there's and it's not as far as to say experimental but it's it's too far as to say that like they have a they want to show off the set they want to show off the the artists behind the scenes that are uh, communicating the story of the character and what's being told visually yes. um so I, I i really like that and um i think that that's that's important to see it and yeah it's definitely something that even still today even though watching it in a little bit more of a rush um and uh like not being able to sort of sit down and and, and uh, appreciate it like it could should be in a cinema yeah um, yeah yeah it still holds up the pacing's great um and yeah it's uh it's one that you can see, know the spoilers and still enjoy it. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Uh, what was it as well? Uh, this is one of the films too. I remember my nan telling me that when she first saw it, she couldn't shower, I think, for a month or something. Oh, like really? That. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She was just like terrified of someone was going to come in. Out. Uh, yeah. But, and, and, and that's even too with that, that scene, you've got the suggestion of her being facing away from where the assailant's coming so that yes. the audience is the first one to see that. Yes. Um, and that's yes. usually um, one of the best things about like writing. Like, you know, you show it and you don't tell it so that the yeah. audience knows what they want the characters to do, but you can't tell them. And that's what, yeah, usually ends up making the best stories. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool little moment. So, uh, and I agree with you. That, uh, that, I mean, I, I, I prefaced it by uh, saying that I was a lover of the film anyway. And, um, mm. and maybe I'm biased because I, I do a lot. I do love Hitchcock's films, particularly, particularly the, um, the, the American kind of uh, films that mm. he, he did. And, yeah. um, and so f- for me, I was. He's a filmmaker. 
but yeah, he's a filmmaker too that it's so hard. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, to put your finger on it because he has so many different genres within his own style. Yes, yes. So with that in mind, like, would you would you still recommend this film to someone who may not have seen it before? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those films of saying that, like, you know, obviously if, if you're not into horror or if you, you see it um, and you've heard about it and you don't think you'd like it, don't see it. But, yeah, yeah if it's ever intrigued you, I think it's a good watch. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's not necessarily something that will be riveting for every audience. And I'm sure that yeah. I almost have a little bit of nostalgia too when looking back at it, even when watching it, um, yeah. of, of, of looking over certain things. And people today might not be able to go over black and white, but, you know, yeah. it's hipster. <laughs> um, I think it's it's for film school for like you know uh, actors especially for yeah. cinematographers um, uh, gaffers lighting people and things like this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, very right. interesting. Yeah, um, it's um, I mean uh, I mean Hitchcock sure. as I said is known for like being quite meticulous about the shots that he chooses and you can see that in like every uh, inch of the of the screen. Um, yeah, is is positioned in a certain fashion and framed in a certain way. Um, and that's this kind of a bit old school in that sense. Um, yeah. There's something kind of, um, that, that it just works. It's meticulous, it's meticulous by nature, but it, it just works and conveys so well because of it. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. even going to say in like rear window as well. Like, you know, yeah. I remember like a, a lot of, when, when I saw that film, I was reminded a lot of uh, Psycho. Um, because of these suspense points and just what, what's going to happen. And even in, that was in colour. So, like, you know, he, he yeah, can yeah. do it with colour, without colour. It uh, doesn't really matter. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, there's so many others. Like obviously, I mentioned the birds and things like that too before. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly a filmmaker that you should invest in if, it's, if it's, uh, a film is a passion for you. Yeah, definitely, and it's, I think that's why that was one of the reasons why I connected with him as a as a director is because of exactly that. It's he's a filmmaker and he he knew his craft incredibly exactly, well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, mm. And like for me, Vertigo Vertigo is is my number mm. one favorite of his films. So I, I, yeah, I can watch that countless times. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's he's a, he's a he was a. <laughs> it was a genius of his time um, when it came to filmmaking. Yeah, so um, and it's yeah. usually right. a good thing. It's yeah. usually um, a, a very good compliment when um, you can show like one still of a film yeah. and they'll know exactly what that film is or yeah. it'll emote so many different uh, memories. Yeah. Things like that. Right. North by That's Northwest awesome. and all this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Northwest, awesome. Yeah. Film. But even, even, I was even just going to say, what was it? Rebecca as well. I remember so many iconic shots in that. And, and, and again, when the shift happens, when the plot twist happens, yeah. it's, it's like harsh. It, <laughs> it, it hits you like a, a ton of bricks. It falls yeah. on you all at once. Um, or at least it feels that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's even from those experimenting days of him going, cool, now what can I do? Yeah, um, yeah by explaining this it's yeah it's the pioneers of their own vision um, when yeah. it was i guess allowed to be explored hopefully after covid we'll be able to go back to exploring again who knows who knows yeah it'd be interesting interesting world that we are in right? comment below if you think so <laughs> so all right look yeah so we nutted we've nutted through this one and it's been a pleasure talking with you on this one richard um yes thank you you too as i said 60 years in the making well since it was made and uh, yeah, and I've, I've really enjoyed kind of nutting through this one. And I really enjoyed, I think it's been a couple of years since I've watched it too. So I really enjoyed kind of sticking it back on again and, 
and uh, and yeah. watching it again and and I I was watching it with my wife and it's one of those rare movies that my wife and I will watch together <laughs> for <their laughs> stuff as well so um so it was kind of cool to, to have that moment and and watch the film so it was it was it's a good one and I've really enjoyed it so yeah uh, uh, so podcast yeah, yeah, it's yeah, cool. sorry Sorry, no, I was just even going to say it is a good one to watch uh, with a partner. Like, you know, obviously horror films is, are always sort of good, but it being a classic horror film, it yeah. doesn't, it, you know you're not going to get a schlocky experience from this film, at least I feel. I'm yeah. sure there'd be people who might disagree and stuff, but yeah. it, it does feel like it is, if someone, your partner hasn't seen it, I would, yeah, suggest if you're not doing anything on a Halloween to chuck it on because then you'll be able to say, we saw it and we liked it, we didn't like it, or, I don't know, it'll emote something. I'm, I'm not going to get your cuddles. I mean, yeah, I hope it will. I mean, like, it'll be interesting to see if anyone hasn't watched it and get them to kind of uh, go go out and watch it. Let us know your thoughts. Like, I, do you think yeah. we'll start raving mad and going, no, yeah. you, you old foggies trapped in... Or what, more interesting, yeah. it'd be really interesting to find out if um, anyone's seen the sequels or, like, if they're a fan of the sequels and they haven't seen the original. Yeah, yeah, true. I true. think that'd be nigh impossible. Yeah, I'd reckon you might you wouldn't have been able to. Anyway, it'd be interesting. I, I we've talked about it too about potentially opening up that conversation and looking at the other films down the track at some point, and we may well do that. Yeah, um, as we have done with other franchises, it might be quite an interesting journey to take. But yeah, so that will absolutely. be for another day. Until then, um, thanks for listening to us out there and uh, tuning in as always to the Sessions of Horror podcast. I've been your host, Sean Werte, joined by the delightful Richard Lovegrove on this one. Until then, oh. goodbye. We'll see you in room 10 at the Bates Motel. At least it's not room one. Come on, I've got masturbating over me. Well, no, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> do you want, we can change. Yeah, let's do it. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.